Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, one of the things that you call us to do is to be real. And we come and and are real to you at this moment, knowing that we need a Savior, that we need your guidance, that we need you in our lives. And God, while we hear of divided divided homes, divided uh, country, divided lives, we pray an outpouring of your Spirit so that we may hear you calling us, so that we may hear how to be the people you have called us to be. So, Lord, we lift up these prayers to you, those spoken and those unspoken. Just allow your spirit to fill us so that we may be your people. And so, God, we lift these prayers up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Everybody's still here, right? Mike was right. Nobody died. So, you know. You know, I, I just encourage you just to continue to be in prayer. Be in prayer for us as a church. Be in prayer for us as a community. Be in prayer for us as a country. There is a lot going on, and I know it's weighing heavy on a lot of hearts, but thanks be to God that we have a Savior that, that conquers all of that, that we have a Savior that is there with us. We are continuing our series on community. We're finishing it today. But uh, if you are in your small groups, you may have noticed if you're looking through the books that there is, this is actually an eight-week series. And week four, five, and six is designated as Be Real. Because, my friends, if we are honest, as Lori sang in the song, you know, we are a mess. And sometimes it's easy for us to, to put up defenses. It's easy for us to try to put something over who we are. That way the world sees something different than what's really on inside of us. So my hope and my prayer is that as we continue to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, as we continue to grow as a faithful community of Jesus Christ, we allow ourselves to be honest. We allow ourselves to be real, to allow God's presence to live in our lives. So um, a little boy uh, walks into the back of a church, 
And on the back of the church, there is a plaque. And the plaque has a bunch of names. And the little boy is staring at this plaque. And the pastor notices the boy looking at this plaque. And he walks up and says, so, uh, little Bill, what are you looking at? He says, well, I'm looking at this plaque. What are, what are all these names? And the pastor kind of shakes his head and says, yeah, those are the people who died in the service. And a little boy gets this horrified look on his face, and he says, which one, the 8.30 or the 11 o'clock? That has absolutely nothing with what I wanted to talk about, but I thought we needed just a little levity. Um, So we're talking about being real. We're talking about what it means to be a part of, of, of this community. You know, when we show up, when we pursue God in our lives, when we join in and share. But, but all of that, I think, can be in vain. Unless there's one thing that we add to all of this. And that is that if we show up and if we are pursuing God and if we are, we're, we're, we're joining in, but if we're not real, then I think we tend to miss everything. You know, I know atheists who pursue God. And they pursue God because they want to prove that God is not real. I know people who have this great facade over their lives, they pursue God, but they don't want to allow what's inside to be affected or or be touched. I know people pursue God, but they, they fail to show up to have God speak into their lives. You know, being real can be hard. You know, sometimes we're even rewarded for putting up a front, aren't we? We're rewarded if we, we show up to wherever we are and we have this facade over our lives. But what God really wants, God wants who we are truly are. Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel. Before we get to our scripture, just a little, little history or a little backstory about this passage. Uh, the people of Israel are, are gathering and they're kind of floundering and they're, they're calling for a king. And uh, God anoints Samuel to go and find a king of Israel, and he anoints Saul, and Saul becomes king, and he, he's doing well, but he, he does some things that are against what God has called him to do. So God tells Samuel that he needs to, to, to go out and anoint a new king. So Samuel leaves, and then he uh, he takes off and he goes to uh, this little town called Bethlehem. And he runs into uh, Jesse, who has a bunch of sons. And as he walks into Jesse's home, he says, doesn't really say what he's there for, but he's there to anoint the new king. And he invites Jesse to bring all of his sons forward. 
and one by one, Jesse brings his sons forward. And God tells Samuel that each son is not the son that God is looking for. So we have these words in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Have no regard for his appearance or stature, because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If we were to translate that, you know, God doesn't look at those things that we like to use to build ourselves up. But God looks inside each and every one of us. And that is what God wants. God wants our hearts. God wants who we are. Holy and truly, God wants our vulnerability. God wants our, our desire for him. God wants all that we have and not all that we want to show others that we have. There are, there are three traits that I look at at what it means to be real, and we're going to kind of go over those real, real quickly. And there are three characters in Scripture that I think really highlights what these traits are. The first is, is King David himself. David is the one that Jesse went to go anoint to be the king over all of Israel. And whenever I look at David, I see someone who is transparent. If you read through the stories in, in First and Second Samuel, you see all of the time that David is, is transparent with who he is, all of his faults all of his good things, all of the things that David does is to try to pursue after God. That's why in the book of Acts we hear the writer say that David was a man after God's own heart. David was very transparent with everything that he was doing when, when uh, his followers were pursuing Saul. David had many opportunities to, to kill Saul. But each time, he just kind of left a message and say, look, you are God's anointed, and I will not raise a hand against you because of that. But I don't understand why you're chasing after me. I am here for you. And even after he was caught in his moment of sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan came to him and, and called him out on it, David admitted that he was a sinner and that he was at fault. And this is where we get Psalm 51, where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But to fully understand and to fully see the transparency that David had, we have to go later in the Psalms, in Psalm 139 where he writes, 
Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. Look to see if there is any adulterous ways in me. And then lead me on the eternal path. That's not a picture of transparency. I don't know what is. To allow God to to take a look at his life and say, God, where am I seeking other things besides you? Where am I letting all of the trappings of the world around me be, uh, be uh, held up before you? See, these are ways that we can be transparent to God, transparent to what he is calling us to do. A second trait of, of being real is that you have to be passionate. I think in order to be real, you have to be passionate to what God has called you to do. And one of the most passionate men in the Bible has to be Peter. If you look throughout the Gospels, you see one of the most hot-headed, impulsive men ever written about in Scripture. But the reason why is because he had passion for Christ. He had passion for the mission that, that he was on. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain of transfiguration. And in this, this moment, Jesus is, is, is lit up and <coughs> Moses and Elijah show up beside him. Peter looks at this great view and says, we have to do something about this. We have to build Three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then we need to put up a ticket booth, and we need to have people come up here and just celebrate this moment. And Jesus had to pat him on the shoulder and say, no, that's not what this is about. This isn't about this moment. This is about Christ being lifted up. And I wish we could say that was the only moment that Peter and his passion got ahead of him. Another time is as the disciples were going across the water on the Sea of Galilee. They were riding in this boat, and the waves were starting to get a little rocky, and they see this ghost out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And all the disciples start to freak out. They're wondering, what in the world is going on here? And then they realized that it wasn't a ghost, it was Jesus. So here goes Peter again. God, if that's you, Jesus, if that's you, just tell me to come on out there and I'll be right there. And Peter goes out in the water because of his passion for Christ. And then as Jesus is sharing about who he is with passion. Peter cries out, among the disciples, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commands him and says, you know, you will be the one that I will build my church. You are 
the rock. And then a couple of verses after that, when Jesus talks about how he is going to be given up and how he will die, Peter stands up with that passion again and said, nope, not you, that's not going to happen. Nope, not ever, no way. We'll make sure it doesn't. And shortly before, when Jesus called Peter the rock, he calls Peter Satan and tells Peter to get behind him because he did not fully understand. See, passion sometimes can get in the way. Passion can, can make us act impulsively, but I believe in order to be real, we have to have passion in our lives. And that passion turns into authenticity. And the disciple that I see that shows authenticity is one that we don't hear much about. We hear negative words about, but it's the disciple Thomas. Thomas only speaks in Scripture two times in the uh, Gospel of John. And in these two times, Thomas is the disciple that kind of looks there and scratches his head and go, you know, I just don't get it. I, you're going to have to spell it out for me just a little bit more. Sometimes we, as humans, we know that we don't understand, or we, we know that we may need some extra hints, but we'll sit there and we'll go, oh yeah, absolutely, we know exactly what's going on. We, we know exactly what you meant by that, Jesus. But when Jesus was sharing about the place that he was going, he said that you know where I'm going, and the disciples, I'm sure, are all shaking their heads going, yes, and Thomas like going, you're going to have to spell it out to us because we don't know. And then later, after Christ has resurrected from the dead, Thomas was missing from the upper room and Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And when Thomas showed back up, he said the famous words that we give the words doubting Thomas to said, I need to see for myself the nail scars in his hands and in his feet and put my hand in his side and then I'll believe. You know, while we have a tendency to doubt or, or, or say that what Thomas was doing was wrong, I think what Thomas was doing was very authentic. And we have that in our own lives where we need to see, where we need to actually touch and feel the presence of God in our lives. See, being real, I think, means, for me at least, that we haven't arrived yet. And it's going to be a while before we arrive. It's going to be a while before we fully understand what Jesus has called us to do. But the best way for us to be real is to be in community, to have people alongside of us to help us 
to guide us, to lead us, to, to, to it be in those questions that we have in our lives. To have other people speak into our lives to allow God's goodness and grace to be real to us. It's hard to be vulnerable sometimes. It's hard to allow others in. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior who has come for us so that we can allow our guard down, so that we can allow God's Spirit to move in and through our lives, so that we can proclaim together. And while we may not have it all together, which we don't have it all together, that there is a God who walks with us in our doubt. There is a God who walks with us in our impulsivity. There is a God who loves us and cares for us, who desires for us to be known as his brothers and sisters. So my brothers and sisters, the call is to be real. In a world that is full of fake, and a world that is called to be all put together, when we understand that we're not, God lifts us up. Let us pray. Oh God, you have given us examples of what it means to be real. And yes, all three of those examples of David and of Peter and of Thomas, they're all flawed. But God, so are we. But thanks be to God that you have sent Jesus to take the mess that we live in, to redeem it, not so that we can boast about what we are able to do, but so that we can be a living example of your love and your grace, that we may be your hands and feet, that we may be those who are known because of the love that you have given us. So God, we lift these things up in the strong name of the one who loves us, who gives us life and life abundantly, Jesus, our Lord. Amen.